0: Our theme for this retreat has been in some ways a, a kind of an exploration of love and wisdom. How do they inform each other, support each other, help to cultivate each other? The teachings on the Four right Efforts are really wisdom teachings the core kind of understanding in the four right efforts is this understanding of what is skillful, what leads us towards deeper happiness, what is unskillful, what keeps us caught in struggle and suffering. And this is one of the foundational wisdom teachings of the Buddhist tradition. This understanding, this distinction, beginning to recognize and clarify for ourselves the difference between these two and that when we act out of the unskillful qualities, those qualities motivated by greed, aversion, and delusion, that we reinforce greed, aversion, and delusion and that um, those qualities, those states of mind themselves are suffering and they tend to perpetuate suffering. And then when we act are in motivated by, inspired by the qualities of non greed, non aversion, non delusion. It moves us towards freedom, release, happiness. The deepest um, freedom expressed by the Buddhist tradition, the freedom of nibbana, is sometimes defined as the absence of greed, the absence of aversion, the absence of delusion, the non-arising of greed, the non-arising of aversion, the non-arising of delusion. And so this understanding between skillful, unskillful is very foundational for our path to unfold and so it is a key wisdom teaching and it is intimately connected with the development and the cultivation of the brahmaviharas in different ways actually the brahmaviharas can support us to be able to meet struggle and challenge when we bring an allowing attitude, we're bringing that quality of, of metta right into our the way we meet unwholesome states, unskillful states. And so the, the quality of metta is kind of supporting in that way. It's supporting the cultivation of wisdom. And the development of wisdom As we begin to understand this difference, this distinction between the skillful and the unskillful, we tend to engage less in the unskillful, and this creates room. I mean, the definition of freedom, the non-arising of greed, aversion, and delusion, this is what the right efforts are aiming for, is that kind of freedom. which leaves room for the wholesome states to arise which includes the brahmaviharas and so the cultivation of these four right efforts also is a condition that supports the brahmaviharas and so they interweave they inform and support each other together This afternoon, I'd like to explore a a different side of our relationship to love and wisdom. When we suffer, when we're struggling, when we're caught by greed or aversion, caught in reactive emotions, Confused by the beliefs and views of self, confused by the beliefs embedded in greed and aversion. If I get this thing, I'll be happy. And the belief embedded in greed. The suffering that happens in some ways in my, in my own exploration of the suffering around greed, aversion, and confusion, delusion has pointed me to recognize that sometimes, maybe even more often than not, that suffering is arising in relationship to a kind of a confused relationship or a misunderstood relationship to love and wisdom. So the dukkha or suffering is arising in connection with greed, aversion, and delusion, which is something that's arising in our minds. The understanding that the Buddha offers in the Four Noble Truths around the possibility of freedom from suffering, is that we can be free from greed, aversion, and delusion. We can be free from these reactive patterns of the mind, and that will be the freedom from suffering. And so the struggle that is around suffering is not inherent in what's happening. It lies in our relationship to it. This doesn't mean that, and so with, with that struggle be lying in our relationship to it, this is actually really good news because it means that there's the possibility for that, the mind to change, the mind to shift and not relate to what's happening out of greed, aversion and delusion. The conditions, that greed, aversion and delusion being conditioned, different conditions can create a different process going on in the mind, different different responses to the situation, situations we find ourselves in. And it's not that this place of not being reactive, not having greed or aversion or confusion around what's happening in the world, it that doesn't mean that we somehow think injustice is okay, or we somehow think that um, unethical behavior is fine. That's this, I think, this this notion that um, something like a, aversion and hatred when there's unethical things happening and injustice happening in the world, that this is the only response that's valid. That's the belief embedded in aversion, that that's the only valid response. And so our minds in the meeting of the situations in the world no, the, the mind that is not tied up in greed, aversion, and delusion understands very clearly what is actually happening, understands the, uh, the unethical nature of such certain situations, maybe understands what might be a skillful response. a compassionate response rather than an aversive response. And so our struggle, our our dukkha is the reactive mind relating to situations happening inside, outside, internally and externally. And when the mind has more clarity, it can understand more clearly what is actually happening without the filters of greed, aversion and delusion and can more um, wisely meet and respond with, with wisdom, respond with compassion. To me, it seems that as when wisdom meets dukkha, when wisdom meets suffering, compassion comes. So again, one of these interconnections between love and wisdom. And so, given that dukkha arises, the, the suffering the suffering that happens that we can be free of this, you know, when we are free from greed, aversion and delusion, it doesn't mean that suddenly unethical things stop happening. It doesn't mean that we don't fall down and hurt ourselves or stop. It doesn't mean that we stop having unpleasant experience. But that, reactivity to unpleasant experience, the reactivity, the unskillful relationship to unwholesome conduct falls away. And so since the dukkha is a mental creation in our own minds, our minds are doing this. And it's both good news and kind of confusing. It's like it's good news in that we can we the, the mind can, the conditions can change in the mind, and freedom from greed, aversion, and delusion is possible. But this is good news. This is the good news that the Buddha offers. But the confusion of the question is, and you know, kind of given one of the things we've been exploring this retreat, this kind of natural movement towards well-being. One might ask, why on earth would our minds do this to us? Why would they get involved in greed and aversion and delusion if it creates so much misery? My understanding of this is basically it's ignorance and delusion that are at play here that um, our, our organism naturally or, orients towards some form of well-being, but it's, it's kind of the well-being that it most easily understands and is perhaps the quickest to get to. Which as we grow, you know, as we are young children, often the fastest way to feel good is to get something pleasant, to get rid of something unpleasant. We don't understand much about the way that greed feels inherently, the the, the feeling of greed, the feeling of aversion themselves being painful. We are so focused on getting the pleasant things so that that feeling of greed or aversion will go away and that we'll have something pleasant or get rid of something unpleasant. And so we, we kind of take the quickest route when there's ignorance in the mind the mind is just taking the route that ignorance is letting us see towards well-being. And so ignorance is obscuring the deeper pathways to well-being. And this movement to well-being Whether it is, you know, connected to just the fastest movement, got to get this thing, got to get rid of this thing, this movement to well-being, you know, my sense of it is that it is motivated at a very deep level towards this kind of wish for well-being, wish for happiness, wish for safety, which is metta. And so even our you know our movements towards getting something that we want, getting rid of something that we don't want, underneath it, almost buried underneath it, is this wish for well-being, wish for happiness, wish for love, connection, care, kindness, safety, health. And our minds, with the ignorance clouding it only understand very rudimentary ways to work with that to work with how can well-being be possible what might it mean for this being to move towards well-being so when obscured by ignorance the mind only understands greed and aversion as movements towards that what what it thinks is is well-being and so very confused. Our minds are very confused about what well-being actually is. And yet we do see, as we live, the drawbacks and the, you know, the dissatisfying nature of the way we're going about things. When we are operating from the the level you know out of the the ignorance operating from the level of getting what i want is going to make me happy that's where well-being lies getting rid of that thing i don't like that's going to make me happy that's where well-being lies and yet we see we recognize that the strategy towards well-being doesn't seem to be very lasting. The, the well-being that happens in following through on those strategies doesn't seem to be very lasting because basically reality intervenes. We get something that we like. That thing that we get that we like is conditioned, it's impermanent, it's unreliable. And our happiness goes away. Perhaps because the thing that we've gotten has gone away or we're not able to successfully navigate always keeping ourselves separated from what we don't like because of the changing nature of reality, the unreliable, uncontrollable nature of the world. And we think, sometimes we might think, if I'm not able to get what I want and keep what I want, then I must be doing something wrong or else the world is wrong. There's something inherently wrong with the world. The world is to blame or I'm to blame. And so much of our suffering seems to result from a struggle with this nature of reality. It's impermanent, unreliable, uncontrollable nature. And at the same time, and this is just the way it is, you know, it's not a mistake. It's not a mistake that things are impermanent and unreliable and uncontrollable. It's just the nature of nature. And at the same time, so a lot of our suffering seems to result from being in conflict with these truths, with this kind of the nature of, of the nature of nature. Coming into alignment with the nature of nature is another expression of wisdom in the Buddha's teachings. That we begin to recognize and understand through our practice, the impermanent, unreliable, not-self nature of experience. And so this thread that what one of the, the parts, one of the ways that our suffering is kind of whipped up is being in contention with reality, not being in alignment with the way things are. And then at the same time, our suffering also seems to be deeply connected to and the kind of the way in which we'd like to move towards well-being, you know, this movement, this wish to be happy, healthy, safe, at ease the mind very naturally at a very deep at a very deep level. It's it's a it's a beautiful expression of being human that we have this wish. And yet some of our suffering also seems to be related to this, you know, this thread, these threads of the 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 wish towards well being, kind of meeting up against the threads of reality the wish for safety, meeting up with the uncontrollability, unreliability of experience. And so these two threads kind of come and our minds just tangle them up. And so this is when I said that suffering is connected to a confused relationship to love and wisdom. This is what I'm pointing to, this tangle, a tangle of the threads of the wish for well-being, the wish for happiness coming into contact with un- impermanent, unreliable, uncontrollable, and our minds just go, No, this doesn't make any sense. This is nodding up. And this tangle, the tangle is, is kind of our strategies for dealing with what seems to be irreconcilable things. we have this deep wish for safety, perhaps, and it meets this recognition of unreliability and a vulnerability. We are very vulnerable as, as human animals. It's very easy for our soft bodies to get harmed. So we are vulnerable as human beings. And this wish for safety, kind of meeting that truth of vulnerability. There's this kind of, out of not understanding, sort of how these two can coexist. This tangle of fear, of anxiety, of confusion can result when this wish for well-being meets this vulnerability. So in in a way I see that these threads, the threads of the, and it's the the human, the human kind of emotional um, movement towards metta, which is wholesome and beautiful coming up against the truths of reality this because of not understanding we we basically we we fight so those truths of impermanent, the truth of impermanence. We think, you know, at a very deep level, our system rebels against this and says, no, this is just wrong. This is not the way it should be. And so we fight that. We resist that. And the truth of, you know, we meet the truth of of uncontrollability and it's like, no, what am I doing wrong? If I can't control it, I'm not, I'm doing something wrong or somebody else is in the way. And so at some level, this ignorance is clouding and not let, not letting us really see this is just the nature of things. We feel like we are, um, our misunderstanding is that we think it's our fault or that it's a problem that impermanence, unreliability, uncontrollability is what's going on. And so the the ignorance is, is not letting us clearly see, no, this is the nature. This is nature. This is truth. And reactivity is born when we resist the truth or deny the truth feel like it's wrong. And as we, over, over our practice, and I've met with so many people over the years of sitting in this role as a teacher. And sometimes I hear people, you know, beginning to recognize that vulnerability, uncontrollability, impermanence, that this is the way it is. And a kind of funny thing can start to happen there, though, that's also worth paying attention to. We can sometimes, okay, yeah, vulnerability, this is just the way it is. And embedded in that, or hidden in that kind of way of understanding vulnerability, well, this is just the way it is, is a little bit of a sense or a feeling that it's it's kind of a denying of the wish for safety. It's almost as if we in recognizing that these truths are the way it is, we somehow feel that the wish for safety and well being is not a valid wish. And this, again, is where this tangle happens. So sometimes when we begin to touch into the impermanent, unreliable nature of experience, it's almost like we... we are denying or repressing that very natural movement towards well-being, that movement towards metta, that wish for happiness, that wish for well-being. And so the tangle again, you know, so here's a, a way in which the tangle can happen, that we start to, we start to recognize, oh yeah, things are uncontrollable. Vulnerability is a truth. And so in in that recognition, it's like, well, so I've got to not want to be safe. That's a tangle because that movement towards well-being is such a natural wish. It's denying, it's denying something very natural in our hearts. And yet our relationship to those wishes, this is again where ignorance comes in our relationship to those wishes to be happy, healthy, and safe, our ignorance and our craving around them is kind of demanding. It wants happiness, health, safety, and well-being on my terms. It wants it in a particular way. This... Kind of the 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 way that our self wants it, and so these there's there's the the wish, and there's the you know, the demand that these wishes be so, and the demand that they be so in a particular way. So this is again, this is. Um, a misunderstanding about where deeper well-being lies, ignorance in the way. And so wisdom, I feel like, has the capacity, I think actually wisdom and love together when they join together and, and work together, they, they have this capacity to hold both. Maybe the love helps us hold these truths. And these truths help us have a more, uh, skillful relationship with the, with the love. And so the wisdom and love actually ask our hearts to hold, to stretch, to hold both, both the wish for well-being and these truths. I don't think that wisdom asks us to let go of love. It doesn't ask us to let go of the wishes. It doesn't ask us to let go of that movement of the heart towards connection and care and kindness. In fact, I think it asks us to embrace those wishes. And so wisdom and love together ask us to simultaneously open to these very, challenging truths and the connectedness, the care, the compassion, the joy. And in some ways I think because a lot of our suffering is this tangle, knottedness around these threads of love and wisdom When we come into contact with suffering, we are coming into contact with the tangle. It's true we're coming into contact with the tangle, but that tangle is made up of love and wisdom. And so an opportunity when we can hold and meet our suffering with kindness and with Equanimity. It's like we are. Uh, eight, what, what we are, we are holding something that is intimately connected with these threads that will lead us to understand love, and wisdom. And so our suffering, meeting our suffering is a is an exploration not only of craving it is an exploration of craving it's an exploration of ignorance the ignorance is the tangle it also reveals these deep wishes for well-being and these truths this to me is partly how An exploration of our suffering begins to free the mind. So often, I think part of the reason our struggles have such a grip on us where we feel like, no, I really do have to follow this. You know, this this fear is important. I've really got to figure out how to fix this problem. Is because the the underlying, you know, uh, the the thing that fear is connected to deeply underneath is this wish towards well being. I think this is partly why our, our struggles have such a grip on us because they are connected to this very natural wish for happiness. And one, um, I had an experience in September of 2001, right after the attacks on the World Trade Center. I was visiting my parents and flew back to California the second day after they started the, the planes up again. the plane started flying again. And there was bad weather where I departed from and I had a a connection in Houston and missed my connection. Um, So I had to get a hotel at the George Bush International Airport. And if you recall, George Bush was the president at the time. And um, when I was in my room that night doing things in my room late at night and, and um, the power went out and I looked out my window and it wasn't just the hotel power. And there was no storm happening in Houston. The storm had been where I had taken off from. There was no storm, nothing that I could see that would have caused a power outage. But it was, it was a big power outage. It wasn't just the hotel. And my mind went to terrorist attack. In my mind, you know, George Bush International Airport is a perfect target for terrorism. The symbolism of that. My mind did that. In the mind. It created this it created all kinds of scenarios, images. You know, I, I it was so dark I had to use my, my Indiglo watch to navigate my room. And I envisioned a whole bunch of us with our Indiglow watches, like gathering in the hall, you know, to see. My mind created all these scenarios. So fear was huge. It was big fear. Only after, like, you know, five minutes or so, I realized, well, nobody's coming and knocking on the doors, and like, there's nothing happening. It's like, it's probably okay. Maybe, you know, it's just somebody hit. I don't know what happened, you know, somebody. Something fell into a power line or something. And yet the fear was still very strong. The fear was very strong. The mind kept going back to terrorist attack. And in my practice, I, I decided, understanding that with fear, sometimes metta is a, is a useful um, antidote, I started saying metta phrases may I be happy. May all beings be happy. When I started doing that, there was such a deep resonance. I was like, yes, this is what I wish. I wish for all beings to be safe. There was such a resonant connection with that wish. And the, and the fear went away as I connected to the wish. And then the mind would bring up its stories again and the fear would get huge again. And then I would connect back to the wish and the wish that wish for well-being, the safety for all beings was very powerful. It was as powerful when the fear went away, when the fear wasn't acting that that wish for well-being and safety for all beings was as strong as the fear was when it was present. And something about seeing the power of both of those helped me to understand that the fear was a kind of a tangled response to that wish for safety. So our willingness to explore our suffering Our willingness to hold it and not have the idea, as I did so often with my anger and my self-hatred, especially my self-hatred. It's like, you know, this thing is like a tumor. I've got to find the edges of it and get the scalpel and excise it, get rid of it. That was my approach for a while. It's like, this is wholly bad this self-hatred. And yet this, you know, even that self-hatred, as I began to really, you know, at one point on one retreat, it's like there was surrender, you know, tried everything, it's like to not have it be there. At some point it's just like, well, I guess this is my self-hatred retreat. I will get to look at this, and there was a kind of surrender to that as a pattern arising in the mind and the and the seeing of how you know the the wish for connectedness with people in my life and how that had been confused and, you know, long history, uh, you know, generational history that led to some of the kind of knots around that wish for connection, the mind could start to just meet it and see what's there. You know, when we try to take the scalpel and cut out, throw things out, I think that part of the, you know, part of the the mind there that, that you know, what we're doing, you know, it's my understanding here now, this, this analogy that I'm using about the not, right? The, 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 the self-hatred was a tangle between that wish for connection and this, you know, uncontrollable, unreliable world and relationships And if I were to take the scissors and cut that knot out, I get a hole in the cloth. I don't think that, you know, know, love and wisdom is just a kind of an analogy again, but it's kind of like, you know, love and wisdom are, are not going to let themselves be excised And so another approach, a more, a softer approach, one that is more like mindfulness. I was finally willing to like, yep, okay, surrender, I guess. This is what I get to look at. It's more like putting that knotted pattern into a warm bath or something that lubricates it, it allows the tangle to untangle itself. And then we have with the untangling, it's like the love and wisdom become the weave of our lives rather than some place of contention, the holding of both And so really, this is an encouragement to honor, honor your suffering rather than fight with it, rather than hate it. I I see this path of wise mindfulness, the path where we're cultivating love and wisdom to hold our suffering as a very um, respectful practice, one that honors our suffering, allows it, holds it, meets it, and lets it, lets the mindfulness do the untangling. This image of a tangle comes up in the teachings. The poem from the time of the Buddha. A tangle inside, a tangle outside. This generation is entangled in a tangle. All generations seem to be tangled in a tangle. A tangle inside, a tangle outside. This generation is entangled in a tangle. I ask you this, O Gautama who can untangle this tangle? And the Buddha responds one established in virtue, wise, developing the mind in wisdom. A practitioner ardent and discreet. This one can untangle the tangle. I like the term ardent there. Ardent does have a, a... Ardent actually here. This is a nice way to bring love and wise effort together. Ardency has this quality of engagement. And yet, the word itself is a heart word, ardent, kind of connected to the heart. And so, right there in ardency, is love and effort, care, connection, <laughs> and persistence. When established in virtue, wise, developing the mind and wisdom. A practitioner ardent and discreet, this one can untangle the tangle. Those for whom lust and hatred, along with ignorance, have been expunged, those arhants with taints destroyed, for them the tangle is untangled. Let's sit for a moment.